Well, it is good to be back at Tabernacle again. Now, churches really mirror one another quite well. And we both had the influence of Tabernacle Baptist in Greenville, South Carolina. And in 1983, I went to Nicholasville, Kentucky and started the Tabernacle Baptist Church of Nicholasville, Kentucky. So I, I can say I, it's good to be back at Tabernacle again today. And uh, praise the Lord uh, for the opportunity to hear, uh, to be here and uh, to meet uh, Brother Harvey. And what a blessing that is. Well, I'm going to sing... Uh, when I sing around the country, a lot of people don't know that I'm a preacher. They know me as the singer, especially in some of the conferences and so forth. And so uh, it's gotten where, uh, I, that's one reason I love to sing, I enjoyed singing the song while I go, because most of the time people have requested favorites, and I sing the same songs every year when I go to those places. And... Um, but this one is often requested that I sing. I'm glad one day the old ship of Zion came sailing my way and took me on board. I trust you're on board tonight. <clears throat> I was drifting away on life's pitiless sea and the angry waves threatened my ruin to be when away at my side there I dimly descried a stately old vessel and loudly I cried ship ahoy ship Was the old ship of Zion the sailing along? All aboard her seemed joyous. I heard their sweet song, and the captain's kind dear, ever ready to hear, caught my wail of distress as I cried out in fear. Ship ahoy, ship ahoy, as I cried out in fear. Ship ahoy, the good captain commanded a boat to be lowered. And with tender compassion, he took me on board. And I'm happy today, all my sins washed away. In the blood of my Savior, and now I can say, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. 
sinking down neath sin's merciless wave. The strong arm of our captain is mighty to save. Then trust him today and no longer delay. Board the old ship of Zion and shout on your way. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout and sing on your I'm glad he saved my wretched soul. Amen. And uh, trust you know that tonight. And uh, again, it is good to be here. And Brother Harvey, you remind me of my dad. I, my dad just went home to be with the Lord just a little over a year ago and and he was 90 years old, and he was the best soul winner that I knew. My dad was. Uh, he, he was one of those people that, uh, I don't care if you're in a, in a restaurant, where he might be, the waiter would come by, and he would talk to them. And he would introduce himself and put his hand out, and they'd take hold of, a hand, of his hand. That was a mistake on their part. Well, he wouldn't let their hand go. And he would tell them about Jesus. And my dad loved telling everybody about Jesus. His life changed. I, I, I wish I could preach tonight on three decisions that my dad made that changed my life. You, sometimes you don't realize you think your life is your own and the decisions that you make just affect your life. But my dad... My dad was living a wretched life, grew up in a wretched home. My, my grandpa was wicked as could be, and my dad was headed down that same road till he took Jesus at his, as his Savior. That changed my life. Do you realize how that changed my life? Because I, when I was born, I had a saved dad, not an old drunk. When I look at my cousins... My dad's brothers, I see myself a drunk, a drug addict, in prison. But because of salvation, salvation changes not just a life, but a home. What a difference. I'm glad my dad made that decision. Then he made the decision. By the way, I used the passage of scripture of Abraham. God said, I know him. He will command his children after him. The decisions that Abraham made, my dad made. The second decision that Abraham made was just to surrender all that he had, all that he was to God. My dad did that in a straight back chair. My dad, Brother Harvey, was, he grew up in Pickens, Pickens, South Carolina. And uh, that's where he was born. And... Uh, 
when he got saved, he, they had cottage prayer meetings back in those days. And the fellow that, they had a little message there and the, they were praying and the fellow set out a straight back chair just in the middle of the floor and said, if you got anything to settle with God, settle it there. And my dad crawled over into that chair and said, oh God, I, I'm not much, but I'll give you all that. I, and he surrendered everything, just surrendered it all to God. That changed my life. That changed my life. My dad said when he got, when he was saved, he thought, I'll just, in his words, he said, I'll just be a mediocre Christian. Most people are just mediocre Christians. But I'll be honest with you, when you're just a mediocre Christian, that doesn't work, turn out well for your children. See, my dad, he could have he, he had the opportunities to go into business, make money, and uh, just have the things of the world. But I shudder to think, had my dad chosen that way, I wouldn't be here tonight. You can mark that down. I would not be. I would have had no desire to be the ministry. I mean, the world will have swallowed me up. Oh, I might have been saved, gotten saved. But I would have been just like most Christians who choose to live the mediocre life like Lot. And by the way, Lot was the contrast of Abraham because the decisions Lot made changed his children's life and their generations for years to come, you see. Lot chose to go back to Sodom. Abraham chose, no, I don't want anything to do with the king of Sodom, and, Sodom because I know the king of Salem. And he chose to go that way. Third decision my dad made that changed my life, he chose, made the decision to be and to go where God wanted him. Brother Harvey, that not only changed you, but that changed your children, the course of your children. You see, my dad went to a place no one else wanted to go. My dad went to a place where the sheriff would not go. My sheriff, my, my, the sheriff of our county told my dad when they found out he was going up into sugar camp, preacher, you're crazy. And the, he said, I got kinfolk up there. And, and he said, and I won't go. And that's the sheriff talking, a lawless community. But you know, dad went in there and spent 41 years, changed an entire community for the Lord. I think about what would have happened had my dad not gone where he wanted him. Oh, my life would have been totally different. For one thing, there wouldn't be a Tabernacle Baptist Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I wouldn't have the family that I have. This dear wife that I have over, over here, uh, a lot of people say, where, where did you uh, meet your wife? I said, right there in the same county where my dad uh, pastored. And so a lot of people think that my, my you know, my dad uh, I reached a heathen, you know. And I, 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 but no, she was on the good side of the county. Her grandpa found out when, when, uh, when her, she and I, we met really in high school, freshman in high school. And we started courting, liking each other, just as kids, uh, in freshman in high school. And one day her grandpa said, oh, where's this boy from? She said, sugar camp. He said, don't you have another thing to do with that boy if he's from sugar camp? 
She said, but he's the preacher's son. She, he said, oh, okay. And that made a difference. But, you know, I think about it. My dad went where God wanted him. And that changed my life. And God called me into the ministry. I learned the ministry firsthand. You know, some people say, how did you learn so much about the Bible? I've been in Bible college all my life. Every day was Bible college in our home. When I was 13, my dad said, son, I need some help. I need you to teach the adult Sunday school class at 13 years of age. I didn't know a whole lot, but I wanted to know, and I, so I began studying. And so I, I told my dad, I said, but dad, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Lord, and my dad said, well, son, you just get into the word and the Lord will give you something to say. So since I had nothing to say, here's, here's, I began my method of Bible study and preaching. I don't have a thing to say tonight. So I had to get into the word to find out what God had to say. And I, since I didn't have much to say, I, I figured I'd have, I better get a whole lot out of there or I won't have much to say. So I would get as much as I could out of that passage of scripture so I would have something to say. And that has served me well. Now, Brother Harvey, I get more out of here than I've got time to say. If I could tonight on this subject that we're dealing, we started this morning, we would go a couple of hours, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you, whet your appetite tonight as I did this morning, and that's really all I did this morning, just whet your appetite for this thought and this study on in his likeness. Now, if you would turn back to Genesis chapter 1, we covered, first of all, when God said in his family conference that God had, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, in that conference, God said, let us... Make man in our image after our likeness. God wanted a likeness. And so as we saw this morning, he made the family. The family is the likeness that God wanted. Male, father. Female, mother. Multiply, replenish the earth. Children after the likeness of the Son of God. The Father after the likeness of God the Father. The mother in the home after the likeness of the Holy Spirit. That mother, she's the spirit of the home. And then children are to be like the Son of God. Not a rebel, but like Jesus. Jesus said, I've not come to do my own will, but the will of my Father. And so when a home is fashioned and made and determined, and that's the kind of home I grew up in. With my Father, I don't know anyone more like God, the Father, than my Father was. He had the likeness to God the Father. And my mother, my sweet, precious mother, submissive and yielded. And she, she was the, as the Holy Spirit is the teacher, she was the comforter. And certainly I was born of my mother. 
as we must be born of the Spirit. And so in every way, my home was, it just imaged. And, and I praise God for my family. So it, we ought to endeavor in our home and in our family, every member of that family, you stay together as one because God, there is no division with him. He is one. He's, there is unity. There is agreement in that home. No separation. Now we notice too, Satan hates the likeness of God and he seeks to uh, divide and separate and destroy that likeness where that father is no longer like God the Father. He, he, he has no resemblance to the father image in the home. And the mother, my, we have any, so, so much today in society, the women, you know, oh no, we're, uh, you know, I, uh, we, they, they refuse to have that likeness. Now again, we mentioned this morning, there is no inequality in the home because the home should be one. There's no inequality with God's family, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. These three, the Word of God tells us, are one. That family ought to be one and whole. Now we're going to look tonight at the second part of this. In chapter 2, God gives us more information on how that family came to be. And we're going to look at the likeness in the individual. God said, I want a likeness. And tonight, that likeness. The likeness that God desired is sitting in this room tonight. Now you think about it. God wanted a likeness and he made you. There's no one here that is a mistake. There's no one here that is insignificant. The only way that anyone is insignificant, it is if they are a self-made person. Some people say, I'm a self-made man. If you are a self-made man, you are the product of unskilled labor. And unless you allow God to make you, you're no more significant than a pile of dust. Because that is all that Adam was without God. I'm going to give you an outline to start with, and you can, if you like outlines, let me give you the outline, and then we'll, we'll probably not even refer back to it, because I've got so much tonight, we'll not be able to cover it tonight, but let me give you the outline, okay? And the outline was, first of all, made, made in his likeness. We're going to look at chapter 2 and verse number 7. And again, God said, I want a likeness. So how did he make that likeness? Verse number 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now we know that that family came. God's desire for the family was from Adam. He took from that one uh, being, Adam, bone and flesh and made the woman of the same flesh. And so God said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be. Those three rhyming words is important. Leave, cleave, be. One flesh. Now that's the way a marriage should be. 
You'll have to leave some things out of that marriage. You must cleave, be joined together as one, and be, be one, not two equal halves, striving for equality. And if you think the other one's getting a little too uh, above you, you've got to knock them down, beat them down to make sure you stay. No, leave that equality business out. Be one. That's what God wants you to be. Be one, all right? And then with Adam and Eve, what happened? The children come. Now, you read, we read that in chapter 5 in verse 1. It says then, and uh, Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So you got Adam, E, Seth, the family. But how did that all come? Out of one flesh, see? Oneness. Now, that's what God wants, that unity. But also, now let's go back and look at the individual. Now, you may say, as, as, oh, my family is nothing like God's family. But God never gave up on Adam. We noticed this morning how Adam and Eve, their marriage was distraught. I mean, their marriage, now we see the division. The woman thou gavest to be with me, not of me anymore. That woman over there, no longer the woman here within me, part of my being. There's that separation there's Eve who uh, is no doubt feeling that hurt of that division and separation. She becomes the preservationist and says, oh, the devil made me do it. Buddy, if you're not going to take care of myself, me, I'll take care of myself. And then the first children, Cain and Abel. The separation from the home. Cain kills Abel, then Cain goes 180 degrees from the presence of the Lord, and he separated, divided. Now the home is in such disarray. But then God was not, God didn't give up on the family. Then Adam knew his wife Eve again. We see the commitment to marriage. His wife, not his woman, not his uh, significant other, but his wife, as God intended there, the, it to be. And she bare Seth. You see, the fulfillment of God's plan. God didn't give up on the, the likeness. And God has not given up on your family either. You say, but my family is in such disarray. We looked and considered this morning about Abraham. But there's not a one of you. Your family is in a big a mess as Abraham's family was. I mean, what a mess. What a dysfunctional family. But God... Restored, And God never gave up on his family regardless of how dysfunctional it became. And God will not give up on your family. But we're looking at the individual tonight. You say, oh, preacher, there's nothing like me, like God. Can I say God's not giving up on you either? God's desire is that you be like him. We're going to look at that tonight. Now, the message tonight is, and I'll give you the outline, made in his likeness. Then strayed from his likeness. Sin, man lost through by sin, sin brought, the, he, he lost the likeness to God. The third point, saved. 
saved. Saved to his likeness. Though we were lost and astray from the likeness of God. When he saved us. He brought us back in to the likeness of God. Even into the very uh, person of Christ. If any man be in Christ. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Then the last point of that, if you like outlines, portrayed. The portrayal of. Portrayed in his likeness. And Hopefully we can spend a little time on that tonight. But let's start, first of all, made in his likeness. We need to understand, most people do not understand who they are. And if I were to ask you, uh, who are you? You may be, most people will give the description of themselves, you know, in physical terms. Maybe um, uh, if you were asked to describe perhaps uh, a friend, you would describe perhaps uh, that, oh, they've got, uh, uh, you know, they've got blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, they're about five foot six. Uh, they weigh about uh, 185 pounds. And, um, you know, we, we would give physical uh, descriptions. But there's more to who you are than that. Notice back in our text, let's look at made in his likeness. Verse number seven says... And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now here is Adam. God took a handful of dust and he made the form of a man. Now that's his physical, that was his body. Now we could look at Adam and say, my, what a specimen of a man. But really, in reality, he was not much more than a man. There was no life in him. There was no spirit in him. Now again, God said, let us make man in our image. So we, we find the Son of God begins this creation. And he makes a likeness to himself. And that is... The Son of God, or we might refer to Jesus as the body. The physical manifestation of God was Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the physical manifestation. So, God, and again, God made a likeness in Adam here. He made, first of all, Jesus made a body like unto himself. Then we have the Holy Spirit's involvement. And by the way, you go through Genesis chapter 1, you'll see the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son in all of creation. They were in agreement. And, and each, each had their aspect of creation. But the, the sublime... Uh, creation was when God made the likeness to himself. And so Jesus, the Son of God, 
made the likeness of himself and he made Adam a body. Then the Holy Spirit did what? He breathed into, it says there, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What does that word breath mean? That breath means spirit. Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit put his spirit, a likeness of his spirit in Adam. And then what happened? Man became a living soul. That word soul means life. Now where does life come from? Life comes from the Father. So the Father put his life into that being. The Son, Jesus, gave Adam a body. The Holy Spirit gave Adam a spirit. And the Father gave him life. Man became. He became a living soul. Now I want you to think of who you are. Who are you? Most people describe their body. In fact, we live thinking of the physical body. But you're more than just a body. You are a spirit. You are a spirit. In fact, let's think about that spirit that you have tonight. Everyone in here, I look at you and I, I've gotten acquainted with several of you and uh, been learning your name this morning. But you know, I, 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 but really, I know most of you by your physical appearance. By your physical appearance. I haven't really gotten acquainted well enough to know your spirit yet. Now I'm learning that. These boys, Caleb and Timothy and Philip, they've each one got a different spirit about them. They got a different spirit. I mean, they a, a, a quality of spirit. Now, God must like variety because He sure made a lot of it when He made people. Now, you are a spirit. Some people, you know, that it's just they've got a. You might think of it, man. That person's got a joyful spirit. I mean, they. Some people, they've got a very serious. I mean, they're, uh, and, and we, we describe it in terms like this, kindness. Or on the other hand, sometimes we think, my, that person's got an angry spirit, a bitter spirit, a jealous spirit. And people become known by the very spirit or countenance that they have. Now we're not talking in the terms of what your face looks like, what your body appearance is, but your spirit. How are you with your spirit? See, you are a spirit. Now, stay with me tonight. Spirits can be influenced. 
Yeah, since you are a spirit, your spirit can be influenced by a divine spirit, the Holy Spirit, because that's why we're commanded to be only influenced by the Holy Spirit. 100% influenced by the Spirit is being filled with the Spirit. On the other hand, some people say, well, sometimes I am. I'm influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful when you're influenced by the Holy Spirit, but sometimes you give place to a bad spirit. You're driving down the... What was that road I was on today? I'm going to tell you, you better stay on your toes driving around here. I mean, I mean, you need to stay on your toes. And I mean, these roads, I, and I'm not, I, there's road, these roads are made a little different than most places. I mean, I, those turnabouts confuse me a little bit. I think I'm in the turning lane, but suddenly this lane goes that way, and I need to be over there. My lane goes, it turns all right, but not the like where I need to turn. I mean, I've done that a couple of times just yesterday and today. And then suddenly people are honking their horn. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That honking horn business bothers my wife. She says, why do they do that? That just makes me so mad, you know. But if you're driving and somebody does that, all of a sudden, boy, there's a spirit that just comes over you. Your spirit gets hijacked. And you become another person. I mean, I was behind one of my church members one time, and we were in a turning lane, and this fella kind of cut off, cut over in front of him. And he sat down on his horn. Now, he didn't just honk his horn. He never let off the horn. He, he's blowing the horn all the way through the red light. I mean, the red light, is he's sitting there, the light is red, so he just blowing his horn, and he don't stop, he don't let up. And then when the, finally the light turns green and that car in front of him begins to turn, he keeps his horn on all the way through that turn. He didn't know that his pastor was behind him. And you know, I saw him get hijacked by a bad spirit, an angry spirit. Sometimes, as a Christian, you get a bitter spirit. Have you, has anybody ever, have you, have you, do you know some people, they got hurt some way, they become very bitter? I mean, you don't even want to be around them. I mean, uh, you know that, I mean, they got hijacked, and the problem with getting your spirit hijacked, not only does that often destroy you, it's like when those uh, terrorists hijacked those planes. Yes, it destroyed them, but they destroyed thousands of people with them. When they flew those planes into that building, they didn't just end their life, they ended the life of many people. I know churches that very good people, their spirit got hijacked, and it didn't just destroy them. They were bent on destroying everything and everybody in that church. I've seen churches split and splinter and blow up because somebody's spirit got hijacked. Remember James and John when James and John said to Jesus, you know I saw this, this bunch of people over here and they were doing this and they were doing that. Why don't we just call them fire from heaven and burn them up? Jesus said, you know not what spirit you are. 
What happened to James and John? Their spirit got hijacked. What about old Peter? Peter the Great, he got a very proud spirit. Who's the greatest? Why, I'm Peter the Great. Why, if anybody is going to sit on the right hand, you know it ought to be me. And there, James and John, why, they even got their mama to try to get them a, a, a place at the right hand of uh, and James, uh, one on the right and one on the left. Why, you know it ought to be me, Peter. Why, you going to deny me for Not me, Lord. I'm, I'll die for you before the rooster crows in the morning. Oh, no, not me. He said, Satan hath desired to have you, Peter. Satan has desired to have you. He's going to put you into the center. He's going to break you all apart. There's not going to be much left of you, Peter, when the devil gets through with you. When you come out of that center, you're going to be broken all to pieces, Peter. Oh, no, not me. And he did. Jesus even called him Satan. Satan, Satan, get thee behind me. What happened to Peter? His spirit got high. See, you are a spirit. Oh, no, preacher, I've just, you know, really, I've just got a little temper, that's all. And they think, perhaps, that's just who they are. No! Your spirit got hijacked. You gave place as Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 describes what happens and, uh, to our spirit. We're challenged. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Give no place to the devil. You see, the devil is a spirit. He's a spirit. And again, as we pointed out this morning, God wanted a likeness, and he only made one, and that likeness is sitting here tonight. But Satan said, I will be like the Most High God. See, the problem is the devil can't be like God. It's impossible. He is only a spirit. He is a spiritual being. He doesn't have a body. That's why the demons, they, as the Word of God says, are not the angels ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. Angels are spirits. They're not a body. But they'll, the divine angels will help you. But the satanic angels, the fallen ones, They'll try to take over your spirit like they did David. The Bible says that Satan came from the Lord. He tempted David to number Israel. What happened to David? David gave, gave way to an evil spirit. Evil spirits are mentioned there in uh, 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 18, where Micaiah uh, uh, said, I saw before the Lord sitting at his right hand and at his left, the host of heaven, at his right hand and at his left, there are two hosts of heaven. One's at the right hand of God. One's at the left hand of God. At the right hand of God, who is seated at the right hand of God? The captain of the Lord of hosts, and that is Jesus. He is in charge of the angelic host of heaven, that is sent to minister to the heirs of salvation to help you and I and our spirit when we're in need. And Jesus, He makes intercession to us. 
Holy Spirit helps us to pray as we ought to pray. Now we have not because we ask not as James says. Book of James, he says, you, why do you war and, have, uh, and, and fight? And he says, you have not because you ask not. You know why? Because the evil spirits, they're before the Lord at the left hand of God, and they're making accusations against us, and they're, they're trying to, to get, to leave the presence of God to come down and to attack us. But Jesus is pleading our case if we are praying. All we have to do is pray. And the Lord Jesus, on our behalf, makes our petition to the Father. The Father gives permission to the angelic host. They come with our answer to our petition. But if we're not praying, hear the devil like he did in the book of, in the book of Job. He comes before God and he makes a petition. I want to destroy Job. He comes from God and attacks Job. But let me tell you how Job broke the captivity. It says, in, and, and God ended the captivity of Job in the last chapter of the book of Job there. When he prayed. When he prayed, God delivered him from the captivity. What captivity? The devil's captivity. See, the devil will captivate your spirit because you are a spirit. And you need to understand when the devil is attacking your spirit. Some people say, you know, I'm just a depressed person. That's who I am. And a lot of people accept depression as the way that's just who I am. I'm just, you know, I, I mean, that's my DNA. God didn't make you a depressed person. Somewhere along the way, you gave place to a spirit that is destroying your spirit. And you know, the result is, when we give place to an evil spirit, a bad spirit, it'll destroy your body. And that's why we, we are challenged to give place to the Holy Spirit. To whom you yield yourselves instruments to obey his servant. He says, Paul says, we are servants, whether instruments of unrighteousness to sin or righteousness. We've got the choice. I must choose who I yield my spirit to. You're made, you are made with a body. Spirit and the soul. Now, coming to that body, that body is to be like Jesus. You don't have the right to mark it up, scar it up. You don't have a right to give it to addictions. That body is to always portray a likeness to Jesus. When people see your body, it ought to be a reflection of the body of Christ because it was made in His likeness. So now we've talked about the body. We've talked about the spirit. Now let's talk about the soul. What is the soul? That's your life. Now, what are you going to do with your life? Jesus gives that message in Mark chapter number 8. In Mark chapter number 8, the disciples, 
They're debating who's the greatest. Jesus said, it's not going to be so among you as it is among the kings of the Gentiles who are beneficiaries. Today it shall be fulfilled that which is written. The shepherd will be smitten, the sheep scattered. And Jesus said, you ought to be just like the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But here they're debating who's the greatest. And Jesus said, the greatest is who's his servant of all. That's the greatest in the kingdom. But then he gave them a challenge. He that saved and by the way, he's talking to the disciples now. He's not talking to lost people. He's challenging the disciples. He that saveth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. Now what's he talking about? Their life. And then he says this verse. We often refer this verse to a lost person. Now, what's your soul worth? Jesus said, What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What's Jesus? Remember, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking about their life. What they're living for. He's talking to saved people. He's not talking about dying and going to hell. He's talking about your lifetime, your soul. That word soul and life in that passage of Scripture, look it up. It's identically the same word. It's the same Greek word. If you look that up, soul and life. Jesus is giving the challenge to the disciples. What are you doing with your life? You've only got so long a time. Life, life happens so quickly. And he's challenged them, invest your life for the purpose as Jesus did. I'm not come to do my own will, but the will of my Father. You see, life has purpose. And it's not to get all the world you can. Live your life every day. You see, every day, we, I, have a, I have a decision every day of my life. Am I going to live this life and invest it in the world? Or am I going to invest it in the eternal purpose of God for which he saved me? See, when he saved you, he restored that likeness. In Christ, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily. You see, when he saved us, he made us in his likeness. So that life has purpose. John preaches the same message Jesus preached. In Mark chapter 8, John preached it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Now remember what Jesus said, if you trade the world for your soul, you, and when you die, you've got nothing left because the world passes away. What is the whole world? What shall a man give? What, shall, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world? What is the whole world? John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, I believe it's verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. And he that doeth the will of my Father. The will of the Father abideth forever. See, that's what Jesus was saying. If you give your life for my sake in the gospel, you're going to save your life. That's an eternal investment. 
But if you trade it for the lust of the flesh, what is the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh is you just do whatever you, you want to do. I mean, that's what the devil tempted Eve with. He don't have to be your Lord. He may be God, your maker, but you can be your own Lord. You can do whatever you want to do. The lust of the flesh is saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know we have that temptation every day. Are you going to do what you want to do? Are you going to do the will of God? Father. The, pride, uh, the lust of the eye. What is the lust of the eye? Now, doing whatever you want to do, that's a temptation the, the devil and most people will trade their life for the lust of the flesh. But that's only one third of the world. Most people are doing, I mean, they're living their life just doing whatever the old flesh wants to do. But you know, you say, no, 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 no. Devil, I'm not going to trade my life for just the lust of the flesh. You'll come back, well, what about the lust of the eye? Now, what's the lust of the eye? That's the ability to have whatever you want. You see it. You want it. You deserve it. Get it. And a lot of people, they will trade their life for getting whatever the world has. I mean, it may be houses, it may be lands, it may be uh, gadgets, it may be things. And they spend their life getting, getting, and getting whatever, whatever the world has. Now, the third part of the world is the pride of life. What is the pride of life? That is, you be whatever you want to be. You become what you want to be. Not necessarily what God wants you to be, but what you want to be. And a lot of people trade their life to be what they want to be. And they may make it. Maybe they, get, they do whatever they want to do. They get whatever they want. And they have become what they want to be. And they achieve it. And then they die. And what they got? Nothing. Because the world passes away and the lust thereof. He doeth the will of my Father. Now, it's our time is gone. Let me let me just sum it up. Let me let I gotta go back and give you this, because this is good, Brother, Brother Furbeck. This this is good. You, you need to study this one out. You need to preach on this one. Genesis chapter one, verse one says, In the beginning, God. Now we know that man sinned and lost the likeness. Chapter 3. When sin came, man lost his likeness. His body became depraved, unlike Jesus. His spirit became dead, unlike the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit no longer uh, conducive to his spirit. That uh, they, they no longer could communicate. I mean, he is spiritually dead. His life, life is dead. Has nothing similarity to the life of the Father. Sin came. So, again, we said God didn't give up on the likeness. He wanted the likeness. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. Who is God? That word, Brother Spurbeck, you know what that word is? 
Allow him. Meaning, uh, and by the way, that's a plural use for God. You see, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, Hebrew has a singular, a dual, meaning two, or a plural, meaning three or more, to every subject. In other words, if uh, they have a word, if, if I use the word for single, like one eye, they have a Hebrew word meaning one. But if I say eyes, everybody's got two eyes. They've got a dual word. Glasses, for instance, is a dual suffix that the Hebrew uses. But then, like ears, for instance, two, feet, two. That's a dual suffix used. But if it means three or more, it uses a suffix, plural suffix, meaning at least three or more. Now, for God, there is a singular. Brother Sperbeck, what, what is the singular word for God in Hebrew? Or L. L, okay? L is singular, meaning one. And it's used for like an idol. If I were to say this is an idol, it's a little g in your, you look, you're reading in your Bible and you see a little g-o-d, that, and you look up that Hebrew word, it's L, E-L, meaning one, singular. But when there's a capital G-O-D in the beginning, God, you look up that word, it's Elohim. Meaning three, at least three. Now we know that God is the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, and these three are one. Now man lost his likeness. He lost his likeness. How is he going to get that likeness back? Again, God did not give up on the desire for a likeness before the foundation of the world. God was in absolute agreement how that was going to take place. God knew that man would lose his likeness. But the plan was made. Jesus, the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, who was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with Elohim, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him. We'll get back to that in a moment. But at that stage, the plan was Jesus would become like Man. And what was the likeness? Your likeness and my likeness. That sinful likeness was not like God, but yet Jesus became like me. He became like you, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. And he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. 
we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Here's man who is lost now, lost the likeness. How is he going to be restored to the likeness of God? Here's what took place. I got to thinking, all right, if God is plural. I wonder if that's the way in every place in the Bible. I found a place where it was not. Though it's capital, uh, it, it, everywhere it's capital G-O-D. And it is in this place. But I looked up the word and it's singular. You know where that is? When Jesus is on the cross, he cried out, he quoted Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I looked it up. It's L, not L. Do you realize how much God wanted you to be made in His likeness and to be like Him? Hey, what happened? Jesus became sin. He left the Godhead. We often say, and I've heard it and I've said it, no doubt. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, He was God hanging on the cross, but He wasn't. He was a sinner hanging on the cross. He was your likeness and mine. He became sin. He took Himself. That's how much He wanted you to be like Him. He became like you. He took your sin and my sin and He took the wrath of God. God's wrath was poured out upon Him. And so He cried out as a sinner, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Because He was no longer God. He loved you. He loved me that much that He became sin, my sin, all my sin. Uh, the sins that would make me shudder to think of he became because he wanted me like him, who being in the form thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but was made in the likeness. Being found in the fashion as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every uh, uh, things in, uh, and, and heaven and in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now what happened? When Jesus paid for your sin, He took the likeness of you and me and took our sin upon Himself. He took our hell. He took bore, and he being the eternal Son of God, as he prayed there in the garden, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What was he praying? Hebrews tells us that he tasted death for every man. Death was the cup that he drank, and he tasted death every man. But his prayer was deliver me from this God. His prayer was for the resurrection. Nevertheless, not my will, Father. If it's not your will, I'm willing to be eternally separated from you. 
for those that I love. Deliver me. He says in strong crying, in Hebrews there, I think it's chapter 5, in that he was heard and was delivered. The third day he arose again, and when he arose, you and I arose in him and with him, presented faultless to the Father in Christ. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Colossians 3, 1. Ye then, if ye then be risen with Christ. You know when I got saved? You know when you got saved? Do you know when we were made a new creature? You know when salvation took place for all? When were you made, by the way? You were made when God made Adam. That's when you were created. Amazing God that we have. Brother Mark, when God made Adam, He made you. You were in the loins of Him, and every aspect about your being, He made an Adam. Now, your size may have a little bit, bit to do with you, but He wanted there to be a mark. Turn it over. He made Adam. But he also wanted a new Mark because he knew Mark would be a sinner in need of a Savior. And when he, when Jesus arose from the grave, you did too because you were in Christ. When he arose, so it is with every one of us. Everything about you, he wanted there could be a you because when he made Adam, he made you. Each one of you were in him. And he knew you then. He knew you when he made Adam. He, he made Adam where Adam would you, you would be made and produced of Adam. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. David said before I was in my mother's belly, God knew me. When did he know you? When he made Adam. My, what a purpose for your life. But he knew you would be lost in Adam as well. And so in Christ, the second Adam, you were made a new creature. You realize when we lost the likeness, in Christ we were a new creature. We were that new likeness. And when he arose, we arose too. And we're presented in him and his likeness. Yes, outside the family of God. Because of sin. But in Christ we were brought back in the family of God. And now we're in Him. The book of Ephesians, the key word in the book of Ephesians is I-N. It's almost in every verse, in. In Him, in Christ. All the way through. Now the likeness. You say, preacher, I am so unlike Him. You see that in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so when you and I trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, the fullness of God, body, spirit, and soul. By the way, uh, Jesus had a body, he had a spirit, and he had a soul. 
The fullness of God dwelt in him. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen God. And you and I were saved unto his likeness. Your spirit made alive. Your soul now, your life has purpose. And it ought to be just like Jesus. I'm not come to do my own will. The will of my Father which sent me. And I, the older I get, the more I realize I, I don't have much time left. I've got to make this time count. Brother Harvey, I don't have much time i got left. But I only get one shot at being old, Brother Harvey. I got one shot at being old. When I stand before the Lord and give an account for my old age, the world will tell me, why don't you take it easy when you're old and do nothing with your life? I mean, just take it easy. Where do you find that in the Word of God? You only get one shot at that. When you stand before the Lord Jesus, you don't get to say, oh, now wait a minute, let me go back and really do something while I'm old. I know it's harder. And I'm annoyed. I can't do all the things that I... Used to do, but I'm going to tell you, the time I've got left, I realize I've only got so many days left to do something for God and, and hear him say, well done. So I've got to yield my spirit to the Holy Spirit. I know I've preached longer than I should, because I told you, I, I, I find more in this blessed book than I can preach, but I want to. Let's close it this way. That spirit, soul, and body. Let's liken it unto a journey. We're going to go to Alaska. All right? Let's take a trip to Alaska. How are you going to get there? You get one car. You're going to take the journey from here to Alaska. Now, when I preach this back in the east, it's a lot longer journey than even it is from here. We're going to Alaska. You get one car for the journey. You better take care of it. If you're going to get to Alaska, some people treat their body like their car. I'm going to drive it till the wheels fall off. They never, you know, they, never, they don't take care of it. Not, they, they never change the oil. They never get a tune-up. They abuse their body. You're only going to go as far in your life as your body takes you. So you ought to take care of your body, that body that's made like Jesus. It's got a purpose. So take care of the body. Now, how, who's going to drive? Your spirit is the driver. Your life is the journey from here to Alaska. That's your life. The spirit is the driver. Now, I think that's the most important. Have you ever driven, got off the interstate in the middle of the night to get some gas? You're tired, you're weary get back on the interstate and you drive and you drive and you drive and drive. A couple hours later you realize I'm going the wrong way. You've lost all that time. You're going to have to turn around and get back all that time you've lost and energy and resources. Wear and tear on the, on the vehicle. Now you've got to get back on track and you've got to get going again. Sometimes you see the Spirit also says, I'm so tired of this journey. I'm tired of going this way. I, I want to take the scenic route. And there's nothing wrong ever occasionally 
taking the scenic route, you know, driving through the mountains. I'm going to get off of this interstate, this boring interstate. It, I want to go through the, and there's nothing wrong. But some people stay on the scenic route and never get to Alaska. And there's some here tonight, you're on the scenic route with your spirit and you're off track. Some of you, maybe you're going the whole wrong direction. But some of you just wasting your life, getting nowhere. Your life is so important that Jesus went to a lot of trouble to make you like him. Went to a lot of trouble. And so it's all right for you and I just to give him all of our life. My body, just dedicate your body to be like Jesus. Your spirit, yield it to the Holy Spirit to keep you on track and your life. Say, oh God, what do you want me to do with my life? I know that I've wanted to be this and be that, but I'm going to surrender my life to do what you want me to do with it for your sake and the gospel. And one day when we stand, you know what the judgment seat as Christ is going to consist of First Thessalonians 5, 7, 5, 17. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. You see, you're going to be judged for your spirit. What kind of a spirit do you have? You've got a bad spirit. You need to surrender your spirit to the Holy Spirit. Your soul, what are you doing with your life? You're going to have to give an account one day when you stand before the Lord Jesus. How much of your life did you give for the cause of Christ? For the life for which you were saved? How much of your life is given? And then your body. Did you let your body dictate everything about you? You just... Paul says, I bring my body under subjection. Have you done that? Yielded your body to the Lord for the purpose, spirit, soul, and body to be that, the likeness. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall be, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And that's what it's all about, to be like him. Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself, even as he is pure. In other words, that's the way you live. Every day, you should be more like Jesus than you were the day before. How much like him are you? Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you are not like him. How many will lift your hand and say, there was a day I trusted Jesus as my Savior? How many can raise a thankful hand to heaven and say, yes, I know that I'm saved. Praise God. And I'm not ashamed of it. 
Amen. You may take your hand down. Is there someone who could not raise your hand? Is there someone who said, I cannot, I did not raise my hand because I do not know for sure that I'm saved. Pray for me. You didn't raise it then, but you'll raise it now and say, pray for me, preacher. Would you? I believe everybody raised their hand. Now the question is, how much are you like him? Is your body under subjection? As... Paul said, I bring my body under subjection. Are you letting your body control your life and its appetites and its desires, the desires of the flesh? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave gave himself for me. How about it? Is your flesh... Crucified with Christ? How about your spirit? Have you got a lustful spirit that's hijacked you? A prideful spirit? A jealous spirit? A bitter spirit? An angry spirit? Or do you have love and joy and peace and mercy and long-suffering and kindness and all of that? Those spirits controlling your spirit, which comes with the Holy Spirit. How about it tonight? How's your spirit? And then how about your soul, your life? Are you living your life for his purpose? As God spoke to your heart tonight, how many would lift their hand and say, Preacher, there's something in that message God spoke to me about.